Welcome to episode 42. Today's guest comes to us from Salem, Oregon. The universe has a way of bringing people together and that's how me and Kat met. We've been at the same event in September 2019 but didn't meet face to face until April of 2020 at an online training and we've been connected ever since. Kat is an incredible single mom of three kids, one girl and twin boys who were micro premise with a long journey of self-discovery. Today, Kat is a different person versus whom I met a year ago. She's passionate, confident, incredible leader. Being a champion of others and helping them realize their full potential is her true passion. Empowering people to take control of their mindset, successfully let go of negative emotions, and find fullness and joy in their personal and professional lives is at the heart of what Catherine does. Coaching has changed the way I think and the way I respond. Now I choose to respond with curiosity. I bring true curiosity, not judgment, says Catherine. In this episode, Catherine joins me to talk about her experiences going through the NICU, Newborn Intensive Care Unit, why divorce was the healthy option for her, her husband and her kids, and how she is helping other women. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, download, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate each and every one of you. How would you like to master your mind to transform your life, overcome anxiety, trauma, doubt, and suffering to win daily and enjoy a life of confidence, peace, and freedom? This is your unique opportunity to work directly one-on-one with me in a breakthrough coaching. If you are interested, you can check out the link below and schedule your 45-minute discovery session to see if we are a fit. Welcome to Single Parent Success Stories. I am your host, Irina Shehovtsov, and I am on a mission to empower broken-hearted women to break the chains of the past and move forward boldly into the future. Single Parent Success Stories was created to inspire single parents out there who are struggling to help them realize what is possible. Hello and welcome to Single Parent Success Stories. Today's guest comes to us from Salem, Oregon. Her name is Catherine Nutt, and she is a single mom of three kids, twin boys who were micro premise with a long journey of self-discovery, and she is championing and others and herself as well. She's learning how to love herself in this new role. So welcome, Catherine. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so fun to be here with you. <laughs> thank you. So please share with us, with our audience, how did you become a single mom? What are some of the things you struggled with? And share your story. Yeah. So I became a single mom. Well, let's go back a bit. So I started dating. Started dating my, my ex-husband in 99. So it was a very quick courtship. So we got married. Well, okay. So we started dating and then six, eight months after we started dating, we got engaged. And then six months later we were married. And so we got married June of 2000 and we were planning on waiting like five years for kids. Two months later, we got pregnant (laughs) eight months later. No. So we were married eight months and had two kids that the boys were born at 25 weeks. 
And so we went really quickly through, and he had just started nursing school. And so, you know, he's doing his nursing school. And then I dove right in to helping care for the boys in the NICU. And we, we were really good single people and single focused. Like I focused on the boys, he focused on school. We were both very successful with that. And then we were married on our one year anniversary. Both boys had just come home. So one of our sons had been home three days and we're sitting on the floor in the nursery with two micro preemies that are on heart monitors, probably 12 medications. We're sitting on the floor in the nursery at our house and just looking at each other and say, this is our life, like happy anniversary. <laughs> and so that was at our one year anniversary. And then we just never connected as spouses, as a husband and a wife. And it was difficult to then have that partnership moving forward. And so that just created this divide. And I dove deeply into caring for the boys, their medical journey, surgeries, hospital appointments, doctor's visits, physical therapies, like that was my life. And his life was providing for the family and working as a nurse. And it was, it was hard to fill that gap when it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that we didn't have that foundation of, or even that, that connected mindset of what is our goal? Cause I knew what my goal was. He knew what his goal was, but we didn't know what our goal was. So we kept working apart from each other. And probably two days before our second anniversary, I was like, so I think we should get a divorce. It just isn't working. Mm-hmm. And He's like, no, let's try it. Let's keep going because he didn't want to be a statistic. And because in the NICU, we had heard the stats of, you know, 50% divorce within the first year. We're like, that's not going to be us. Like, we've got this. (laughs) We can overcome anything. Look at what we've already gone through. And that was good because I had that support and he had the, we, we had each other during some very difficult times that um, one year, one of our sons had eight brain surgeries and to have needed to do that as a single parent and for him to do that as the divorced father, it would just not have been as smooth as it was. (laughs) I mean, how smooth can that really be? And so we got, we finally filed for divorce in 09 and realizing that staying together to not be a statistic wasn't worth it. It wasn't healthy. We weren't healthy as a family unit. We weren't healthy as parents. And so I filed for divorce in 2009 and it was finalized four months later in 2010 because we both recognized that we were divorcing each other. We weren't divorcing the kids. And and I had said to him, I said, I'm divorcing you. I'm not divorcing the kids and you aren't divorcing the kids. That I made the commitment to not keep the kids from him at any time. And, you know, the same thing on his part, that there wasn't going to be this, we weren't going to put the kids between us as a battle. And so we agreed to do the divorce as kindly as possible. And so when we were, you know, we were living in the same house. Mm -hmm. And so what we chose to do is whoever had custody of the kids, if it was, his work days, because he worked 12-hour shifts, 
If it was his work days, because he had three in a row, he would go stay with a friend of his and I would be at the house with the kids. And then if it was his days off, he would be at the house with the kids and I would go stay with a friend. So we really worked hard to keep the kids as there was so much upheaval anyways. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to keep it as kind for them and consistent. Can I tell you this? So the first day that I was staying with my friend, I forgot my socks. I did not bring any socks with me and I was going to be there for four days. I cried. I like had a meltdown. I don't have any socks. She's like, you could wear my socks. And I was like, what if it was my kids? What if they were going to someone else's house and they didn't have their stuffed animal? And so (laughs) at that moment, I knew that we made the right decision to keep as much consistent as we could for the kids until we each had the space to provide both things for them, that each house had a stuffed animal, each house had the toys, each house had the socks and all that kind of stuff. And we did that for six months that we chose to live that way. And I think that that was a really good base for the kids to know that even though he wasn't my favorite person, he was half of them. And I wanted to honor who they were and who they are by honoring who he is and the value that he is in their life as well. And so the divorce was by choice or single parenting was by choice. And it was the healthiest and the hardest decision I'd ever made in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. To, to put down a boundary and say, this is not okay. This isn't healthy. And we can find another way that staying together for the sake of staying together wasn't worth it. I love it. I love how you had the plan and you have that working relationship and coming into it consciously and recognizing that it's okay to not be okay, but, you know, appreciating that and accepting that and taking that next step. And going to counseling, (laughs) going to counseling to help my, my mental health, because my kids were my kids. They weren't my, they weren't my processing partner. That, right. That's not who I needed to process through or gripe with or struggle through with, but I got to be their support and I chose to lean on my friends and my counselor to find that for myself too. Thank you. So get help and healthy. Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you struggled with or everything was smooth, like when you were a single parent? Oh yeah, no, things weren't smooth. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, I, okay, so what did I struggle with? I struggled with my voice, knowing how to use it because being in a relationship that wasn't healthy all the times, I lost who my voice was. I lost my standards. I didn't know who, I didn't know what rules were mine that I wanted to enforce. You know, so we moved into an apartment and I wanted everybody to think that I had it all together when I didn't. And so there was no hiding in an apartment, me yelling to the kids to stop running and to, you know, respect people around us and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I got the kids into karate. So I got the kids into karate and I was so excited about that. I grew up in the military, in the Marine Corps. I was a rule follower. And so I was like, my kids will be rule followers. 
So I send them to karate to get fixed. <laughs> like, come on, you go learn from these guys. These guys are sharp. They're good. So I send them to karate and the, you know, first week the kids are doing great at karate, that they are listening to the instructors. They are being obedient. They're being respectful. They're being kind. They're being encouraging all these kind of things. And in granted, my daughter was seven and the boys were 10. <laughs> so I, anyway, so I say to the instructor one time after about a week or two, I was like, okay, so the kids are listening to you here. They're obeying you here. They are responding great to you here at home. They're not. He looks at me and goes, so what you've always done, you're still doing and it's still not working. And it's like, yeah. He goes, you need to get on the floor. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> no, no, this is for the kids. He's like, you need it too. And so for me to get on that floor and to have a goal, I was, I learned how to be the encouraging one. I learned how to be the respectful and not the, not the dominating, not the powerful one, but the, the champion, you know, the one that would walk beside me like, that was awesome. Good job. Instead of, Hey, you know, if you turned your fist like this and punched part, whatever. So I, I needed to learn that also. And so jumping on the floor was a really good thing too. You know, that I recognized that I wanted someone else to fix my issue instead of me taking ownership and choosing to do it for myself. Right. I think it's awesome. You know, <laughs> what are some of the things you wish you knew at time of struggle? It's okay to be alone. Okay. Okay. Things I wish I knew in the time of struggle. It's also okay to, to be sad. There is so much that you're processing through, you know, finding who you are now that new identity and embracing that identity and um, huh, accepting and leaning into being divorced um, was, was a big one for me to, to then choose. <sighs> so one thing that was hard for me, so I filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. And then when the papers came back for me to, you know, finalize it, I said to one of my girlfriends that I was staying with, I just broke down. I was like, he's divorcing me. And she's like, you, you wanted this. I was like, I know, but he's divorcing me. Like it was just this, this big aha moment of wait. And then came the, the, you know, crisis of, am I not good enough? Am I not worth fighting for? Am I all that kind of stuff? So it brought into view of mine. What's my worth? What's my value? And some other things that I wish I knew is it's okay to ask for help. And in the same vein, it's okay to do it yourself. That it's okay to be powerful. It's okay to be capable and to lean into that and accept it was huge for me because I, I felt that I needed to make myself less than so that I could be in this relationship. So I could be in this marriage. And so you know, I'd, I'd go to hang up a picture. And I'm like, will you please hang the picture for me? And where now? I'm like, I'll hang that picture. <laughs> and so it, it really is, who do you want to be? Who do you want? What, what role model do you want your kids to see? Who do you want them to emulate? Because they will do what they see. They won't necessarily do what you say to do. 
But if you are a capable, confident person, you are likely going to be raising capable, confident kids who always become adults. You are always raising adults. You're not raising children. You're raising adults because they don't stay children. And that was probably the best realization I had was when they were toddlers, I'm raising adults. And so what are the steps that I need to to help them get to so that they can be confident, capable adults one day to the best of their abilities? And so always remember you are raising adults. That is huge. And, you know, not all adults have the same capabilities. And so what is the strengths and um, what's the purpose of their life? Is it to, you know, cure cancer? Maybe. We really just don't know. But the biggest thing we, we want to do is raise good humans, raise good humans that are loving, compassionate, kind, confident, empowered. That's what we do. Yeah, totally. Especially sometimes if I call kids, they utter such words you don't even, like I, with my son, mm-hmm. <laughs> as if adult is speaking, like, where did you learn this from? <laughs> Always be careful of what you say around those kids. <laughs> well, and with, with my boys' special needs, that I didn't know what they were going to be capable of doing. And so what I learned to do was to um, expect what, like expect more of them and accept what they gave. That always called them to the next level, but then loved and cherished what they were capable of doing in that, in that you know, season of their life or at that time. Mm-hmm. That I knew, so one of my boys in kindergarten, his kindergarten teacher was quite upset with me. And he was in a special needs classroom that was self-contained and lots of um, instructional aids and stuff. And he was upset with me that my son didn't know how to zip up his jacket. Okay. That it was taking the time of the instructional aids to help him zip his jacket to go outside. And I looked at him and I said, he's not going to be a 30-year-old man that doesn't know how to zip his jacket. But he very well could be a 30-year-old man that doesn't know how to look someone in the eye and doesn't know how to connect with someone emotionally or, um, you know, share what is going on for him. And so I was working heavily on social skills. Mm-hmm. I knew that I knew that he would be able to zip his jacket one day. I knew that that was going to come. And he's 20 years old now. He zips his own jacket. He buttons his own shirts. He, there's, I, I knew that that wasn't what I was focusing on. I wanted him to have independence but more importantly, with where he was in his development, I wanted him to have the social skills. And so um, empowering others to work yourself out of a job, that, that was my goal, was to work myself out of the communicator for him. I wanted him to communicate for himself. Mm-hmm. So to share, share more about, how you call it, those social skills. What were some of the great ones that you, you observed? Oh. Some tools, techniques? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we worked heavily on sarcasm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We, we taught our kids sarcasm. That is something that I worked at really, really a lot with because with the, um, Asperger's diagnosis that 
oftentimes they don't pick up on sarcasm. And so one of our tools of showing sarcasm was we did sarcasm hands Mm. that I'd say, you know, something sarcastic. And I'd put my hands like this and like, that's sarcasm. (laughs) It's like, yes, it is. And so we did it so often. And what's so funny is now I'm like, I think I need other people to do sarcasm hands with me because I'm like, wait, is that sarcasm? (laughs) Um, Another thing that we would work on. So yes, sarcasm, teaching those, teaching those skills. And it was so, I celebrated one time when the kids did sarcasm on me. I'm like, you're sharp. You're pretty witty. (laughs) Um, Another thing is advocating for themselves social skills. When we go to the doctor's doctor's offices, doctor's appointments, I would have them check in. Mm -hmm. They learn to talk to people in authority. They learn to, and I was there and I would, you know, sometimes I'd prompt them, Hey, tell her that your name is. And, you know, just kind of, but I wanted them to be the one because I noticed that they wanted me to do all the talking and I was confident doing the talking. I was comfortable doing it. But am I empowering them or am I keeping them small? Um, When we go to the restaurants, I would have them order their own food. When we go through the drive-thru, I'd roll down the back window. I'm like, okay, tell her what you want. (laughs) It was was really just trying to give them so many opportunities to advocate for themselves, to say what they wanted. And I was right there to back them up if they got flustered or if they're like, if someone wasn't understanding what they were trying to ask for and say, I think what he's trying to say is instead of he's telling you, it's my interpretation of what he's saying. And I say, is that correct? Like, is that what you're trying to tell them? And so uh, empowering, just trying to empower others to know that they have a voice and that their voice matters. Thank you. I love, love those tips. (laughs) I'm going to implement them myself. Yeah. And at first it's super scary for them, super scary for the kids to, to do that. And it also kind of get such a kick out of seeing them like, I did that. I, if, you know, first you want me to do what? I need to tell her what? And then afterwards, look what I just did. And then I'm like, look at what you just did. You just ordered your whatever you just, you paid for whatever. And really celebrating afterwards and having it reinforced over and over in the, in, in them that they are capable, that they can do, you know, they, there are so many limitations that are just naturally imposed with disabilities, with um, limitations for everybody. You know, we all have these limitations of, um, I don't know how to crochet. I'm not going to sit down and just start crocheting a whole bunch of stuff. I have to learn it. And so they're not going to be able just to go right out there and confidently speak to a doctor, to a surgeon, to somebody taking their order, a grocery store clerk, and really prompting at any moment conversation, you know, to, and my sister used to get upset with me when one time, um, anytime I would always prompt the kids to say, say, thank you, or you know, say, you're welcome. I would prompt that. Mm-hmm. And she was annoyed with me. And she's like, you always tell them what to say. 
And no joke. Later on that day, she makes a peanut butter sandwich for one of my sons and says, thank you so much, auntie. And she's like, ooh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it really is just having them find their own voice in however that they can communicate it. Thank you. Thank you. What is uh, I call it an advice you can share for single parents who are just stepping on the, their journey of single parenting? Wow. Um, you can do it. You can do it. That at first I was terrified. I, I thought I was going to fail. I knew I was going to fail. I knew it. And I did. I failed over and over again. And then I succeeded over and over again as well. And it's okay to fail. But what is your definition of failure? You are capable that now I see my life and my journey as I, I can do anything on my own. And I would love to have a compliment to my life. I don't need anybody to rescue me. I would love to have a compliment in my life. Be your own compliment first. Find who you are and what your value is first. Love yourself. And it is okay to love yourself. It is okay to take breaks. It is okay. It's okay to have a meltdown. That is okay. This is hard. And you're very capable and able of doing it. And you've got this. And there's help out there. Reach out for it. Thank you. Thank you. I can add that, you know, believe in yourself. Is the yeah. most kind of... It really is. And there are, there are powerful ways to find your voice, to find your value. There are powerful techniques and we have access to them. We live in an age that, okay, so we used to, what, 100 years ago, we didn't have highways, we didn't have freeways, but people still crossed the nation. People still went on journeys, but now it's easier and more effortless to go on the freeways or the or airplanes or, you know, whatever. And you can trudge through your life and try to figure it out, try to make it work. And there are so many good techniques that are fast, quick, and healing. And also, it complements your journey, and it empowers you on your journey. So that's, that's my biggest thing, is find ways to empower yourself. And empowering yourself, it doesn't mean belittling someone else. Empowering yourself gives you the opportunity to champion others and yourself. And also, it's okay to not champion yourself if you're celebrating someone else. You don't have to be the best at something. You can champion someone else. And your worth and your value is still there. And it's still just as big. And so what I, what I really strive for in my life is to celebrate others, is to champion others. Because when I do that, guess what? I'm championing myself. I'm celebrating myself because I can do that. I'm at that space where I can I can celebrate other people and that is okay. I love that. Thank you. What do you want to be remembered by? Oh, kindness and love. Those are those are the two things that I want to be remembered by is my tender kind heart for others. Thank you. I think you're already doing that. Oh. And this is how I see you. Thank you, Irina. You are so special to me. It is an honor to be on this podcast with you. So thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you. Please share with us, you know, your current projects. What are some of the things you're working on? Oh, well, I'm in the middle of launching all three of my kids. 
Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Yes. Next year we're getting an apartment for the boys. My daughter's going off to college wow. and I get to downsize into a gorgeous little studio apartment that I'm like so excited about. So that is my personal, that's my personal journey and, and uh, project right now and learning how to downsize that keeping the memory of an object rather than needing the object to keep the memory. And, and that has been so wonderful and powerful that I will always have that memory and it is within me. I don't need this t-shirt to remember the time that we did the mud run. <laughs> like, but I remember that mud run and I can recall that mud run memory without needing the t-shirt and, and recognizing that my kids are now 20 and 17. Mm-hmm. We don't need shoots and ladders and candy land anymore. And I'm like, that can go on to someone else to celebrate them. And so the project that I'm working on is downsizing. And then with my profession, with the coaching business, that I am launching the NICU moms coaching group, where I am the NICU mom coach, and working with other moms that have gone through the NICU and have the trauma still from the NICU to help them heal from it so that they can embrace their journey now where they are and love and celebrate their, you know, child. The child might be, you know, three months old or up to 20 and we still relive that trauma until we've healed and learned from it. So the NICU mom coach is my big thing right now too. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. So many thank great you. things on the personal and your business. <laughs> I know. People say only do one big thing. Dude, I got five. And, and I'm working through my own overwhelm and focusing on one thing. Cause when we focus on one thing, it's impossible to get overwhelmed. Yes. And so when I start getting overwhelmed, I'm like, what is the one thing I'm going to focus on? And I will eventually get to all those one things. I don't need to have them all come at me right now. Yeah. What does the value of coaching in your life? So I, I went through counseling for years mm-hmm. and I found value in that also. And the coaching was just more on a personal, more intimate level, the connection with, with my coach mm-hmm. and to have, to have the techniques that, that are there and so valuable that, that I didn't need to do full on talk therapy through Perfect. to learn something mm-hmm. and that I can implement those same strategies that I learned to, to, to work through one thing. I can use them over and over and over in all areas of my life. So I'm constantly coaching myself through the day. I'm like, well, I'm getting anxious about this. Oh, but there's a technique. I'm like, ha, I got this. And, and recognizing, okay, the, one of the biggest things that I learned about coaching and NLP, I was choosing to be the mad mom. I was triggered, triggered. The kids didn't unload the dishwasher. I was mad. And my coach says, so you were triggered and you chose mad. And I was like, you know, cause he kept saying, well, the kids don't have that power to make you mad. I'm like, oh yeah, they do that. If they would have unloaded the dishwasher, I would have been happy. They didn't. And that made me mad. And he's like, so you got triggered and you chose mad. I sat there. And I was like, I chose mad for 20 years. I've chosen that mad instead of curiosity. And so with coaching, it has brought to light the way I think, how I think, not necessarily what I think, but how I think that when I get triggered, I would choose something. So now I get triggered and I choose, 
you know, what, what's, what's the story I'm telling myself, you know, good old Brene Brown, the story I'm telling myself is, and is that accurate? So coaching has changed the way I think and the way I respond that now I choose to respond with curiosity. I bring true curiosity to not judgment, not what are you thinking? No, like what's going on? If that's what you, that that's what you chose, you know, how's that working for you? What do you want to get from whatever you're choosing? And so coaching has settled so much angst within me that I can now have that space of curiosity for myself and for others because we do everything out of love. It's either a cry for love or an act of love. And realizing that in the end, what I want is love. I just get to choose it first and then respond in a different way. Right, right. So you say coaching is an invaluable aspect to anybody's human evolution or if they feel stuck, if they feel suppressed. Yes. And we choosing, got- I love how you made that example of choosing to be mad. Yeah, I chose mad. And I argued, I argued my points for a good three minutes. I was like, no, no. And just, just, you got to see it from my point of view. Well, guess what? My point of view is flawed and I chose mad. And then I got to own it and apologize to the kids for it and, and show them a different me, show them what contrite looked like and apologetic and wanting to do different that when you apologize with no changed action, then what really is that apology? Showing different action was, was I think the loudest apology they could have ever heard. Thank you. Love mm-hmm. this. So <laughs> if people would like to work with you or find out more about you, do you want to share your website or how they can find yes. you? Yes. CatherineNotCoaching.com. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we'll put the link. Is it, is it yeah, able we're gonna- to yeah, we're gonna put links in the show episodes down below, so we can you can connect with Catherine. Yes, find out more about her. Thank you very much, Irina, and thank you guys for listening. This has just been so exciting and fun. Thank You're you. my first podcast. Oh, really? Uh huh. I'm honored. <laughs> If you like this episode, please share with somebody who would benefit. You can leave comments, topic suggestions, and add your reviews on Apple Podcasts. It also helps greatly when you download the episode. If you feel lost, emotionally hurt, after divorce, and want to rediscover who you are, you don't have to do it alone. Join our community on Facebook, Limitless Women, Self-Love mindset and support for relationships where we hold trainings and various events to help you thrive and become happy again because life after divorce is possible and can even be great if no one told you today i want you to know that i love you and believe in you because you are limitless